According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are once again in Philippians chapter 1, looking at verses uh, 3 and following. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And so we have a thanksgiving prayer that's being offered. It's going to be followed up with uh, a follow-up uh, intercessory prayer, which is common in, uh, in Paul's correspondence. And we'll take a look at that again. And then we'll move on. We need to understand the link between gratitude and memory. The link, and they're both prayer applications. The connection that's to be found in, in thanksgiving, which is a grace appreciation and memory that is bringing things to mind. It's not. It's more than just the, the, the absence of forgetfulness. It's more than just recalling something that you need to recall for a purpose. It is the, the uh, structured, mindful, willful recollection of God's faithfulness. And we do that volitionally. We, we choose to remember the things that we choose to remember uh, for our prayer life and for His worship. And that's what we want to talk about here this morning. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to bless our time together, to set aside our distractions, and to humble us under the truth of His Word. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, and we rejoice in Your faithfulness. Father, we thank You for opening the eyes of our understanding. We thank You, Father, for um, being at work in us, both to will and to do of Your good pleasure. We call upon your faithfulness this morning that you would open our, the eyes of our understanding and our ears to hear, that, Father, you would lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Teach us, Father. Teach us the things of God, even the deep things of God. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 1. And we're in the section here where we're detailing the uh, he who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you. So it's verses 3 through 11. He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And of course, beyond. It remains perfected for all eternity. It's one of those uses of until that we've been talking about lately in different contexts. But he who began a good work in you, we'll discuss this corporately as a, as a local assembly. The primary application of this chapter is a corporate application for the saints in Philippi. He who began a good work in the flock of Philippi. The saints at Philippi, including overseers and deacons. He who began a good work in Philippi will perfect it, will complete it. We'll also look at the application on an individual basis. How does it apply to each one of us individually? That God began a good work in us. Uh, that moment we placed our faith in Christ. That moment we received eternal life and we became a believer. Uh, that We could think of this verse as well on an individual basis that He will perfect it. He will complete it. That simply saving us was the beginning of a good work that uh, that He is bringing about. So we'll talk about that. We'll handle verses 12 through 18 as a unit. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, and we'll learn how to have mastery over the circumstances and details of life whereby we can celebrate every circumstance He puts us through. Uh, and then finally, to live as Christ and to die as gain, the, the final part of the chapter, verses 19 through 30. It's not only Paul's application, but he shares it with them that it's the Philippians' application as well, and that each one of us ought to be able to make that application day by day and moment by moment. We weren't promised today, uh, but the fact that I woke up this morning and have one more day in which to, to glorify Jesus Christ, that's a grace provision, and I want to use today to glorify Him in, uh, in, uh, every, with every thought, word, and deed, as we say. So, looking at He who began a good work will perfect it, and uh, detailing the two vocabulary expressions here related to thanksgiving and memory. Uh, bringing to mind in all my remembrance of you. And in these prayer memories, who's doing the remembering? Is Paul doing the remembering or is he doing the reminding? See, it's both. And in remembering and in reminding and bringing uh, uh, the name to God's attention, we have the blessings of understanding the scriptural application of prayer memory. And that's what I want to expand upon here this morning. 
So following the salutation, Paul typically offers thanksgiving on behalf of the recipients of his epistles. And we, we went through this slide already. We looked at all these verses. We're not going to have to look at them again. But I would simply point out to you that this Philippians 1, 3 through 5 is common. In, uh, it's very typical for Pauline correspondence, so much so that if he, if he writes a letter where he does not have a Thanksgiving portion, that jumps out at you. Like, why is Galatians missing? Why is 2 Corinthians missing, for example? Does he have nothing to be thankful for, uh, for those flocks? Well, probably not, but, but he's making the point there. You could probably find something to be thankful for, but he chooses not to list anything uh, as an attention getter, and that certainly grabs the attention. And then frequently, following that thanksgiving with intercessions for their ongoing ministry. And so that's why you notice that verses 6 and verses 9 through 11 then follow verses 3 through 5, uh, which is also fairly common, not as, not as universal as the thanksgiving, but almost every time he will follow the thanksgiving portion with um, an interse- uh, intercessory prayer as well. So in Romans, there's a follow-up. Um, there is not a follow-up for 1 Corinthians, but there is a follow-up in Ephesians. The thanksgiving of Ephesians, verses 15 and 16, is followed up with intercession in verses 17 through 21. Very powerful intercession. Uh, Philippians, we just saw, it's our book study today. Uh, Colossians has a follow-up with a thanksgiving, a very long thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8, followed by a, uh, an intercessory prayer in verses 9 through 12. Uh, Thessalonians is the most expansive Thanksgiving. You could say the whole book of 1 Thessalonians is a thank you letter because we have this this introductory Thanksgiving prayer that continues and continues and continues from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3. And then following the the verses in chapter 3, after all of that Thanksgiving, comes the intercession in verses 11 through 13. Of, uh, of chapter 3. And then the last example is Philemon, which has uh, a Thanksgiving prayer in verses 4 and 5 and an uh, intercession at, at verse 6. All right. Understand Thanksgiving and remembrance. These two things. We want to develop these first and, uh, and then everything else in prayer comes after that. Thanksgiving and remembrance are primary prayer practices. Before you get around to intercessions, before you get around to petitions, before you get around to asking for anything, okay? That's a very immature prayer life is just the gimme, gimme, gimme prayers. You know, basically it's like a two-year-old, okay? You ever had a two-year-old? You have a toddler? We can loan one to you if you've never had one. The, um, the idea of, of, of toddlers, of young children, is that, yeah, they're totally selfish, totally focused on me, 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 and what I need and what I want and so forth. Well, how, but how often do our prayer lives reflect that? That we don't pray unless we need something. We don't pray unless we're in trouble. We don't pray unless, you know, there's, there's a problem and we want God to take care of it. And really, that is the least of what prayer is about. See, yes, it is, prayer is designed for us to requisition uh, provision and assistance and so forth and, and praying for wisdom and praying for guidance. No question, there is a place for intercessory prayer or petitionary prayer, but it is, it comes after the thanksgiving and the uh, remembrance, all right? And so these two components, and we see in almost every prayer Paul ever utters with thanksgiving and remembrance. So uh, we're going to take those as the primary prayer practices, and they do precede particular petitions, all right? And so it may be that we'll have prayer meetings and we never do get around to asking for anything because we spend our whole time thanking Him, thanking Him for how marvelous He is and remembering bringing to his remembrance uh, everything that he has done. Remember, great is the Lord, greatly is he to be praised. And we, we remind ourselves, we remind him, okay? And one thing we're going to get over real quick here today, you're not going to leave today until uh, this hang-up is gone. Um, remembrance is not overcoming forgetfulness, okay? Because God's omniscient, and yet God remembers. And God volitionally chooses to remember particular things. And God also volitionally chooses to not remember particular things. So we've got to separate out remembrance from, uh, you know, from the human sphere whereby it's the antidote to forgetfulness, okay? Because God doesn't forget anything. God does not forget anything. He chooses to not remember our sins. You understand the difference? 
And so they're sealed in a bag, they're thrown behind his back as far as the east is from the west into the depths of the sea. Our sins are pretty far gone, wouldn't you say? But they're not forgotten. God is omniscient and can't forget or can't stop knowing something. What he can do in his sovereignty and the expression of his will is he can choose to never again bring that to his remembrance. He chooses to never again put it front and center in his thinking. See, And that's what we do when we choose. We volitionally choose to dwell on something. Past, present, or future. Because guess what? We're going to learn that remembrance, biblically speaking, is not just a dredging up the past. We, we should be, uh, we're going to have remembrance applications in the present, and we're going to have remembrance applications in the future. Things that we haven't seen yet, but we know are certain because God has promised them. We should be mindful of the rapture day by day and moment by moment. That's remembering the future. According to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We bring that to our remembrance every time we come together for Bible class, or I do. I bring that to your remembrance every time we have a Bible class because I use that verse as a call to worship. We are remembering the future, the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this is uh, important for us. All right, so uh, on Wednesday we dealt with the vocabulary for Thanksgiving, which is eucharisteo. The verb is eucharisteo, number 2168. The um, noun, eucharistia, uh, meaning thankfulness. Okay, And then the adjective eucharistos, meaning thankful. And uh, in all three cases, what's in the middle of all those words is charis, is grace. Charis is in the middle of, of every Thanksgiving application. And, and grace is fundamentally at the core, the issue involved in all legitimate thankfulness. See, I think uh, the, the pseudo-thankfulness that's not really thankfulness is, uh, is a human appreciation for things that is selfish and not oriented to grace at all. Okay, And so if you can be selfishly appreciative, great, be selfishly appreciative, but I would encourage you to stop doing that so much and try to be more graciously uh, appreciative, see, and start to connect gratis to uh, our thankfulness, our gratitude to the grace of God. And uh, if we can start terming our, our thankfulness in terms of gratitude, uh, a gratitude response to the grace of God, then we're going to be more biblically in line with legitimate applications of thankfulness. So uh, what I have here, in fact, I phrased it this way on the slide, Eucharisteo, Eucharistia, Eucharistos, these are the New Testament terms for grace-minded gratitude. That's how I like to think of it, grace-minded gratitude. That's true biblical thankfulness. If I can identify the grace of God that has provided something, the grace of God that has done something, the grace of God that overruled and didn't let something else happen, <laughs> okay, wow, thank you, Lord. And I'm going to appreciate, and I'm going to express that, communicating it back to the one responsible for all of it. So that's what grace-minded gratitude is about, otherwise known as thankfulness. Now, uh, we looked at a lot of the verses on Wednesday, and we missed a lot of the verses on Wednesday just because I was skimming through so many of them uh, to put them back up again this morning. Um, you know, there's, there's 54 of them to look at, and, and you know, we can get lost looking at verse after verse after verse, but I think it's worthwhile to see a couple of these that we omitted Wednesday night just for the value of some of the things that get emphasized in in those particular passages. So I'm going to run from top to bottom through this. It's not going to take us very long because we've got the software running and, and we, we can save on the, on the page flipping. Um, Jesus, of course, sets the example, and he does so. Uh, is the, we start off in Matthew 15. Uh, he took seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. What was he giving thanks about? Was he simply saying, you know, is this table grace? Why do we even have the tradition of table grace anyway? Why, do, why does that come into a common practice? Okay? Is it because of this? I think it should be because of First Timothy, but that's a different issue. All right, But the grace that we have, we want to be identifying the grace of God. And in Jesus' case, it's for the miracle he's about to do. In feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, multiplying the loaves and the fish, the testimony that the Father is going to have through him, and the impact that it's going to have in those that are watching. And so took the seven loaves and fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And so there's a ministry that's 
taking place there in Matthew chapter 15. In uh, the first communion, the upper room, Matthew 26, when he had taken a cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. What's he giving thanks for? Again, is this table grace? Do we give thanks in between each course? <laughs> do we give thanks for the appetizer? Do we give thanks again for the main course? Or the salad, do we give thanks again for the, the main course? Do we give thanks again for the dessert? Do we give thanks for the food and then separate thanks for the beverage? And because we do have uh, distinctions between the bread and the cup, uh, depending on whether we're reading the, the Matthew, Mark, or Luke account. Um, Here's the uh, one uh, leper came back to give thanks. And this is significant. Luke, Luke chapter 17, right? How many lepers got cleansed? And only one comes back, okay? And so uh, there's a gospel quartet song that sings about this. Sings, sings, about, sings about the 10 men. And so one comes back. One of them when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Okay, this is what it comes down to. When we give thanks, what are we doing? We are communicating the high regard that we have for God, for who he is, for what he does, for his faithfulness. That's what glory is. That's what glorifying is. That's what thanksgiving does. We are, we are calling upon the God who did this, giving him the credit, giving him the glory fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan of all that. Ten lepers, and the one that comes back is a Samaritan. Imagine that. You know, kind of get the idea the other nine were Jewish, right? And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the other nine? <laughs> was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, stand up, go, your faith has made you well. See, and I'm curious. We don't, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to those other nine. Did their leprosy come back? Oh, well, we don't know. Uh, just the the pattern here is interesting to me. And so the activity of giving thanks, and I regret I didn't share this on Wednesday, that activity of giving thanks is equated to giving glory to God, glorifying God. And so when we are less thankful, when we have a smaller capacity, and that's what, that's what it comes down to, we want, a, we want an increased capacity to give thanks. We want to be able to give thanks for everything, right? Rejoice always, uh, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. We want to have a larger capacity for giving thanks. That's a larger capacity for giving glory to God, for glorifying God when it comes right down to it. All right, so that's Luke 17. Now, there's also false thanks, which I call selfish appreciation. Okay? It is not a grace gratitude. <laughs> not at all. The Pharisee stood, was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, it's the same word. Thanksgiving in English, Eucharistio in Greek. It's the same word. But is it a grace appreciation? No, not at all. He is so unoriented to grace, it's, it's the opposite. He's so full of himself. Is he giving glory to God or giving glory to him? Okay, himself for how great he is. No, no, that's, that's, the, that's the issue there, right? When we sing the, the, the hymn is to God be the glory, right? Not to Bob be the glory, great things he has done. It's to God be the glory, great things he has done. And that's what it comes down to. So here's an example of false thanksgiving, pseudo-thanksgiving, what I call the selfish appreciation. Yeah, I mean, anyone can be, can be you know, grateful or appreciative, uh, can feel good about good stuff they get. Uh, that's just a selfish, non-grace-oriented view. All right. Anyway, those are a couple in, in the Gospel of Luke, and we didn't uh, we didn't look at those on on Wednesday. Um, Luke twenty two again is communion, and there's giving thanks for the cup. There's giving thanks for the bread. Uh, it's not table grace. It's not uh, additional prayer in between courses or between uh, solid food and beverages. There's a glorif glorification of the Father that's taking place here as Jesus gives thanks for the communion elements. All right. The resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus gives thanks that the Father has heard him and uh, that for the sake of the people that are observing that they're going to learn the doctrine and they're going to learn the principles that apply here in uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. All right, so there's 
the applications there. And that's not a lot, by the way. You notice? That's a, that's a small little handful for the Gospels. There's not a lot of thanksgiving in the Gospels. The bulk of the thanksgiving doctrine that we glean from the New Testament comes from Paul's epistles. That uh, the Apostle Paul, the, you not, shouldn't be surprising, that the Apostle of Grace is going to be the Apostle of Gratitude is going to be uh, having a, a parallel to the grace emphasis that he teaches with the thanksgiving emphasis that, uh, that he illustrates. He illustrates in his own prayer life. In, uh, every time you turn around, he's thanking God on behalf of and giving God the glory on behalf of what God is doing in a particular local church. And so, um, again, uh, you'll find this in, in the bulk of the introduction. Uh, you know, Romans 1 is the introduction here to Paul's epistle. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. Is that selfish or is that grace orientation? Okay, It's, it's oriented to grace. It's not a selfish appreciation for good stuff we've gotten, for you know, loot and plunder and, and whatever. No, it's because through them the gospel is now being proclaimed to the whole world. That, uh, that there's a body of believers in Rome, in the capital of the, of the Gentile global headquarters. And there's a, there's a church there. Isn't that amazing? I'm happy that there's a church in Washington, D.C. or on the outskirts. And I'm happy that Pastor Dan Ingram is, is a doctrinal pastor in our nation's capital. And that National Capital Bible Church is thriving. I'm thankful that they have six elementary schools that they're working in with Child Evangelism Fellowship. That there's a doctrinal pastor with, with a doctrinal flock, with a hunger for exegetical Bible teaching. All right? Dispensational, evangelical, exegetical. And uh, like I say, working with six elementary schools with good news clubs and after school clubs and, and fully operating on it with, uh, with CEF there. That's exciting to me. Okay? And uh, far more than you know, elections or politicians or Supreme Court or whatever else that might be also happening coincidentally in that same town. Okay? The fact that, that there's a Bible church there with six good news clubs. Wow. In the nation's capital. See? So here's Paul saying, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's exciting. Paul was excited that Rome has a, has a church. So um, even in this uh, next verse, verse 21 with respect to uh, creation and how the unbelievers without excuse. You'll notice, um, since the creation of the world has invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Every atheist on this planet is, is walking on God's earth, breathing God's air, you know, um, and, and, and they're without excuse. The testimony is within them. They themselves have, are in the image of God. In, in their by design, with their human spirit, with, with their dead human spirit, but their, their living human soul, all right? In the image of God. And even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Look, you see that tandem? Honoring Him as God is equated to giving thanks. Of course, the atheist does neither. But the, the, the tandem of those two terms, I think, is huge because that tells us what are we doing as we give thanks? We're honoring Him as God. We're acknowledging that apart from Him we can do nothing. Apart from Him we have nothing. All that we are is by God's grace. All that we do is by God's grace. And that's honoring Him as God. Romans 14. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord he does not eat. And gives thanks to God. See, on these doubtful issues in Romans 14, you've got these uh, personal convictions, personal applications, and two different believers can come to opposite convictions, and that's fine. And both are making their choices as unto the Lord, and both are giving thanks. Both of them are honoring God, giving God the glory for the choices they're making, whether they've selected the A option or the B option in their conviction. That's what they're doing. And they're both giving thanks to God. They're both honoring the Lord. Notice it does so for the Lord. All right, so there's the example there. There's more. First Corinthians. We covered a lot of those on Wednesday. Second Corinthians. This is where we notice the multiplication of the thanksgiving, which is also useful. 
We'll discuss this as well because it comes up in Philippians chapter 1, how the Philippians were partakers. They were sharers. They were fellowshippers in the gospel ministry from the first day until now. And so Paul was excited to be able to share with them uh, uh, what he was sharing with them in Philippians chapter 1. Well, what happens when you get to do that? You get to multiply the thanksgiving. You get to multiply the praise. And so uh, he says, I will not have you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia so that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. And this is the blessing and benefit we have to be able to share prayer requests and be able to be involved with one another because we're partaking in those ministries. And today, let me tell you, in our generation, it's greater than it's ever been. I wouldn't trade this for anything. The fact is now we've got global communication. Now we've got got devices in our pockets that can communicate anywhere that I can get a prayer request from Uganda and Zambia and and, uh, Ukraine and, and wherever else and it comes right to this phone in my pocket. And it's coming from their phone in their pocket, <laughs> okay? And it's amazing. You know, you get in the middle of the jungle and you think, wow, we're, you know, there's no internet here. And there is. They got cell phone connectivity in, in some of the most amazing places. And we get to become partakers. And you'll notice, we despaired even of life. While he was in Asia, remember? Ephesus is the capital of Asia. He was there for three years. He was imprisoned in Asia. We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. And whether he was going to live or die, he didn't know. And he confesses that in Philippians as the outworking of his Ephesian imprisonment. And then notice, I love the multiple deliverances here. Um, Verse 10 is the past, present, and future deliverances. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us or is delivering us presently and he will yet deliver us he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us in the future past present future god is just so faithful and and paul says you guys get to join with me in this you join with me your fellow workers with me you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of the many. Notice, through the prayers of the many. And and you cannot deny, grammatically you cannot deny that the bestowal of grace is contingent. The agency is multiplied prayers through the prayers of the many. And so that sparks some doctrinal considerations related to grace that's not earned or deserved if it was earned or deserved it wouldn't be grace but it is grace that is given in a contingent consequence to the multiplied prayers all right so that becomes a theological discussion but let me ask you something do you want to be a fellow worker with uh pastor fassel and and his uh typhoid fever or do you want to get typhoid fever yourself Okay, I'm kind of teasing. But the point is, you do have typhoid fever because we're fellow workers right now wrestling with the Lord and, and praying mightily over Fassel and Carrie John and the, the ministry in, in Pakistan. All things belong to you. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. So that means that typhoid is my typhoid. His sickness is my sickness. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So there's the application there. Now, that one is one that I gave on Wednesday and gave it to you a second time just now, all right? Because it's the blessings that we have to be able to come together and to multiply our prayers, to multiply the thanksgiving, to multiply the glory for Jesus Christ. What do you think pleases the Father more? One person glorifying His Son or a dozen or a hundred or a thousand or a million people glorifying His Son? I have no idea how many people are praying for Pastor Kendall Weeks right now. Because the emails go and they go and they go and they get forward and they get spread. And the blessings to be able to pray for these things is exciting. It multiplies the, uh, the glory for Jesus Christ. All right. Anyway, there's, there's more, but we'll, uh, we'll let that go. That's Eucharisteo. The, uh, the second term we want to understand, the other tandem here with related to, uh, to prayer, we have thanksgiving and we have remembrance thanksgiving and remembrance okay and the family of terms that applies to memory 
is interesting. It's mimnes, uh, mimneskamai is the verb. Mimneskamai. Middle voice verb, of course, you, that makes sense. That uh, we are actively accomplishing it, but we're also passively receiving the, the benefit of the, of the activity. That's what a middle voice is all about. Um, it is, is, is reflexive in a sense because we're doing it and yet we're experiencing the, the uh, effects. So we are remembering. We are calling to mind. We are choosing to, to put in the forefront of our thinking. That's ultimately what it's about. Uh, Strong's number from Mneskamai is 3403 with 23 New Testament applications. There's also a noun, Menea, Menea, which speaks of a remembrance. Okay? And that's what we're talking about. It's a prayer application, a remembrance. Now, you can build a monument if you want, and you could put up a tombstone if you want. The Greeks use uh, Menemeon as a, as a, uh, a really cognate noun here for tombstone or tomb, okay? because a tomb is a, is a memorial. It's a place of remembrance. It's your family members go, your your descendants go, and they remember you while they're standing there at your at your grave. Okay, and so the Greeks would use the same word for a tomb or a grave or a gravestone that we would use in in the sense of a of a memorial. Okay, and uh, different things there. So menea, menea, number thirty four seventeen. It's not a silent M, by the way. It is in mnemonic in the English, but in Greek we, we pronounce the M. Menea. All right? And then the verb menemonuo, uh, menemonuo, with 21 more uses. Number 34, 21. And so these are among the New Testament terms for volitional, and here's my term for remembrance past, present, and future mindfulness. Past, present, and future mindfulness. It's not just dredging up the past. In fact, there's quite a bit in your past, there's quite a bit in my past, I'll just make this personal, that I don't want to dredge up. There's a lot in my past that I don't want to remember. And so I choose not to, see, unless God makes clear that I must, okay? There are some things that I must bring to my remembrance so that I can warn a brother uh, against making the dumb mistakes I made. Okay, And so in those occasions, to edify my brother, to edify my sister, to edify my children, then there may be painful things I don't want to think about, and I usually don't, but on an occasion I will choose to do so for the sake of edifying them. But like I say, it's not just past, it's also present, present mindfulness, future, future mindfulness, remembering the future. We get to reminisce over the rapture every time we, talk, we teach the doctrine, don't we? And it hasn't happened yet, but we get to reminisce over it. We get to fellowship over it, see? <laughs> we had a visitor here last Wednesday night. I loved it. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, does this church teach the rapture? I said, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Made me smile, of course. But I understand why he's asking that because more and more churches are denying it. More and more churches are abandoning it. All right. So uh, anyway, these are the terms. Uh, 23, 7, and 21 makes a total of 51 different instances that we would want to look at. You'll notice, though, these terms are very often employed in a prayer context. And so looking at these, this list here. Hello, my God. Here we go. Remember, and we'll put it over there. And so... um, we can, again, we can run down through these and we'll spot how many of these are prayer applications. Most of them, a lot of them, okay? And this is what we do in our prayers. It's edifying for us to remind ourselves in our prayers. Jesus did this, right? Jesus was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he said, yet, okay? And what does he do? He starts to remember. He starts to cycle the doctrine. He starts to claim the character of God says, Thou art my God. I have trusted you since upon my mother's breast. He says, In you the fathers trusted and were not disappointed. He begins to go through. This is David's uh, composition of Psalm 22 and then De- uh, Jesus reciting it on the cross. But it's that activity of reminding ourselves, that activity of coming to remembrance. And it happens in, uh, in prayer applications. 
Anyway, different uh, uses here. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000? Not all of these are prayer focuses. Peter remembered the word. Anyway, we're going to see to remember his holy covenant. This is going to be something else we're going to observe as well. Our New Testament study on memory actually comes from the Old Testament. That everything we, we glean out of the, 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 the Greek vocabulary when we look at in the New Testament has as its foundation the Old Testament principles for memorials, principles for memorial offerings, Thanksgiving offerings, principles for God Himself remembering His covenant. How about uh, they're sitting in the ark and after a year God remembered Noah? Well, what's that about? <laughs> okay. Was, was Noah in the boat for a year and then God just forgot about him? Okay. <laughs> That's not what it's about. But God remembered Noah. There's a doctrine connected to that. The omniscient God who cannot forget anything, but he chose on that occasion, at that time, keeping with his purpose, to bring Noah to the forefront of his thinking, to the forefront of his attention. See, that's what we're dealing with. Same thing, Israel's in bondage. God remembered Israel. And so he's going to call Moses to uh, deliver Israel from Egypt. We have those expressions, God remembered, God remembered, God remembered the covenant. This, this becomes important for us as well. Um, so, um, how about the thief on the cross? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's that about? Just remember who I am, remember my name, you know, don't forget me? Or is, this, is there a theological significance to this remembrance that connects to the Old Testament foundation for who God is and what God does? To be remembered before the throne of grace. I believe it's a testimony of his faith in Christ for eternal life. To be remembered before the judgment seat. So there's a use of remembrance there. Um, even the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance involves these things. Uh, to be remembered before God. Here we go. Acts 10.31. Here's a good use. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Well, what's that mean? Does that mean God was forgetful? It means that what happens in our priesthood function, through our prayers, through our witnessing, through our giving, all that we do in our priestly function, it becomes a memorial before the Lord. And actually, literally speaking, the angels are carrying incense before the Father as a part of that memorial, as a part of that tangible thing that is our prayer life. We'll discuss that when we discuss what is a prayer. It is a tangible thing. It does exist. We bring it about. We generate it as we accomplish the activity. But the thing itself is a thing. And Scripture treats it as such. All right. Be on the alert remembering. If you're not engaged in the activity of remembering, you're not engaged in the activity of prayer. If you're not engaged in the activity of prayer remembering, you're not on the alert. Remembering. Night and day for a period of three years and not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Romans 1.9, making mention. By the way, this is, this is the verb to remember. God whom I serve in, the, in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness how unceasingly I make mention of you. What's that about? Just making mention? Is he just dropping names? Is he a name dropper? What, what does it mean to mention somebody, to make mention? Well, biblically in the New Testament, the idea of making mention is reminding that he himself is remembering and that he himself is men mentioning that name so as to remind the Father about the believers here in Rome or in Philippi or in Corinth or whatever church we happen to be talking about this chapter, it's Rome. How I make mention of you. Okay? And this is what it's about. The book of Isaiah tells us this, that we are prayer warriors and we are on the wall and we are on the alert. And it says, you who remind the Lord 
Take no rest for yourself and give him no rest. Isn't that great? And then we have the pattern there for our fervent, effective prayers. Take no rest for yourself and give him no rest. You know, how many times do we give up on our prayer life and we're just tired? And so we decide to take a rest for ourselves. We were told not to. And give him no rest. Like the, the woman and the unrighteous judge, she kept wearing him down, wearing him out. And Jesus says, that's the right example. That's the Isaiah doctrine. That's prayer. Give him no rest. You know, be like that two-year-old in the back seat. You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <sighs> okay. And it doesn't matter what you take. You can say yes, you can say no, it doesn't matter. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna five seconds later, they're gonna ask the same thing. Yep, we're almost there. You know, it's still six hours away, but yeah, we're almost there. Okay. I'm the guy that drove to Seattle six times with, with four kids. So well, one, two, three, and four over the years. All right. But making mention of you. How unce- how unceasingly I make mention of you. And mentioning by name, there's a power to that. Mentioning by name, having that name placed before the Father's throne of grace. First uh, Corinthians eleven two. I praise you because you remember me in everything. That's a prayer application. That's a prayer application. Galatians two ten. Remember the poor. You ever think of that in a prayer application? can be it's also a giving application making mention of you in my prayers do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers see that tandem these are primary prayer practices thankfulness and remembrance thankfulness and remembrance remember that you formerly you the gentiles in the flesh it's not just a memory application it's a prayer application remember my imprisonment Okay, he's not telling them, hey, don't forget I'm still in jail. Remember my imprisonment is pray for me. Pray for my imprisonment. Pray that as it has already done, that it continues to uh, result in the further progress of the gospel. Remember my imprisonment. Okay. First Thessalonians, again, there's uh, uh, giving thanks, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind Constantly bearing in mind, and you see, these are the these are the uh, remembrance uh, terms. Ton of them in First uh, Thessalonians. For you recall, brethren. Don't just remember that it happened. You think kindly of us. That's a prayer application. You know, <laughs> when else do you just sit around the house? sitting there remembering stuff. <laughs> I mean, except, I'm saying that the, the main time you do that is in prayer, or should be in prayer, okay? There's probably other occasions you're with family and having a reunion, and so you're having a meal and you're fellowshipping, and then so yeah, okay, on those occasions you might sit around and remember stuff. But I think the main venue for us to sit and remember stuff, and we can do it all by ourselves. We don't need to have a family reunion or a bunch of other people around. Okay, Although that does help. Because <laughs> I always remember wrong, and then Sharon says, no, it was this, or no, it was that. Or I had the, I had the year wrong, I had the wrong kid. Well, one of our kids did that. <laughs> so, and those kind of things, you can fellowship in such remembrances but really the best thing the remembrance in prayer fellowshipping with the father reminiscing with the lord saying lord thank you so much thankful for this and and just reflecting on his goodness reflecting on his faithfulness reflecting on everything he's provided so you always think kindly of us longing to see us just as we also long to see you that's a prayer application they're not just sitting there in Thessalonica daydreaming about Paul thinking, wow, I sure miss Paul. Okay, I mean, you could do that, I suppose, but why not take that occasion to go to the Lord in prayer? Make it a prayer trigger. You know, if somebody crosses your mind, you haven't thought of them in years, 
Make it a prayer trigger. Say, wow, why did they cross my mind? That's kind of strange. I hadn't thought about him in a long time now. All right, Lord, well, I'm going to use this occasion to put him before the throne of grace. Maybe there's something going on I don't know about. And I want to, uh, I want to become a fellow partaker in this, in this work assignment. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Second Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Now Paul was not in prayer thinking now, who is that kid? Who is that young guy? Followed me around everywhere and who was that guy? His, his mom's name was Lois. And what was that kid's name? Okay. No, he knows Timothy. He loves Timothy. He's probably more intimate with Timothy than any other student he ever had. The idea of remembering him, mentioning him in his prayers, as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. The intimacy that they had in the blood, sweat, and tears of the ministry. It's a prayer application. I'm sorry, same verse back? Oh yeah. Constantly remember you in my prayers. Ah, it's not memnesco. It's echo. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my mind. So I have you. <laughs> okay? How do you have? Well, we'll talk about that. Because a prayer is a tangible thing. You can have a prayer. Just like you can have a headache. All right? It's not something you, you stick in your pocket, but you do have it when you have it. And the, the amazing thing is when, you stop, when your head stops aching... You no longer have a headache, right? But so while you are engaged in the activity of praying, you are praying, but even when you are done praying, you still have a prayer, that you have a finished prayer, and you're going to have another prayer, and you're going to have another prayer. And, and each one of these prayers that you have over and over again becomes a cumulative um, gathering of, 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 well, it's incense for the angels in heaven, but it is an accumulative uh, thing. Say, can you imagine having every single headache you've ever had in your life? Every single migraine you've ever had, you have now. Ooh, that's, that's frightening to even think about, okay? But every prayer you've ever offered is what? It's incense. It's a sweet-smelling savor. It is gold, silver, and precious stones of the judgment seat of Christ. You want to talk about an easy way to lay up treasure in heaven? Get a prayer life engaged. And uh, the cumulative effect, as we see again and again and again, why is it constantly? Why is it day and night? Why is it, uh, or night and day in that case? Why is it, what is the value? How do these things reinforce? How is each subsequent prayer then stronger? Uh, more precious? How, how, how then do we increase the value on these prayers with more and more and more of them? Notice it's not mindless repetition. Jesus warns us against that. Each one itself becomes its own sacrifice. Other things that we can teach connected to, uh, connected to prayer. All right. Remember Jesus Christ. Well, like you're going to forget Jesus. <laughs> Who's going to forget Jesus? Okay? The point is, don't forget his name, don't forget who he is. It's not a, it's not a uh, you know, prevention of forgetfulness. It means make this the forefront of your thinking in your prayer life. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel. Every prayer should be in Jesus' name. Every prayer should be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In our prayer life, Keeping Jesus at the forefront is, is, is the key to running with endurance the race that's set before you. So remember Jesus Christ. That's a prayer application. Finally, I'm informed, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Eucharisteo, followed by memneskamai. That tandem of uh, thanks, thanksgiving and remembrance. I love this. Hebrews chapter 2. And this comes from Psalms. This is a great comfort to me, by the way. You ever forgotten where a particular Bible verse is located? 
You ever say, well, I know it says somewhere. That's what the author of Hebrews does right here. One has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Now, you see the tandem there between memory and concern? You remember him? And this goes back to Psalms. This goes back to the Old Testament. And this is why I say that everything we study in the New Testament related to memory or remembrances, particularly in a prayer application, has as its basis the Old Testament. Has as its basis what God himself does when he chooses to be mindful, when he chooses to remember. When he remembered Rahab, for example. He was sending Israel in to destroy Jericho, but he remembered Rahab. Okay? He was mindful, concerned for her, for her family. He remembered Rahab and he rescued her, got her and her family out of there as the rest of the city came crashing down. So what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? So when God chooses to remember his covenant with Abraham, he chooses to remember his covenant with David, he chooses to remember Israel. He remembers them not because they earn it or deserve it, but he's concerned for them for his own sake, for his own covenant, for his own integrity, his own purpose. I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Again, it's a quotation from the Old Testament and it's a, it's a reflection on the reality that the omniscient God cannot forget our sins, but he can sovereignly choose to never again bring them to his thinking. Because the last thing he ever, the last time he ever wants to do that, and the last time he ever did that, is Friday, April third, thirty-three A.D. He has, he imputed all that to Jesus Christ, and he judged it. His wrath was poured out, and from on the, that basis, then he can sovereignly never recall that to his thinking again. The basis for his forgiveness. Hebrews ten seventeen. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Hebrews eleven fifteen. And this is as they were walking by faith in the Old Testament. They died in faith without receiving the promises. You know, he had a, Abraham had a land grant, but he never had it realized in his lifetime. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And those who say such things make clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Indeed, had they been thinking or remembering in the, of the future of that country from which they went out, they wouldn't have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And so this is the pattern here for Old Testament faith, walking by faith, not by sight, anticipating the, the kingdom to come. We'll have more to say on that next hour, actually, because in Jeremiah 50 and 51, we have the Chaldeans, we have the Babylonians, and the judgment upon Babylon, the judgment upon the Chaldeans, and the fact that Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees is significant, in that, and why it is that Babylon is the preeminent opposition to Jerusalem, the preeminent opposition to the will of God is Babylon. So more things to say when we get to that. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. It's a prayer application. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. It's a prayer application. So many of these are. All right. Yeah, there's more. We'll let those go. All right. The New Testament view of remembering is grounded in the Old Testament view of remembering. This is point three in the outline. The New Testament view of remembering is grounded in the Old Testament view of remembering, especially in the applications where the omniscient God chooses to remember. God remembered Noah, for example, Genesis 9.15. Or chooses to never remember again. Jeremiah thirty one thirty four, that's the new covenant with Abraham, right, or with Israel and Judah. We'll do. Uh, we'll discuss Zachar and the blessing. You know anybody named Zechariah? Anybody named um, or Zachary or um, the verb is Zachar. And not only do we have an Old Testament named Zechariah and a book, the book of Zechariah, 
But we have a New Testament Zechariah. Zacharias in the Greek, the father of John the Baptist. And he gets to preach a message about remembrance. And so that's kind of fun also. All right, let's wrap it up with this. But um, Genesis 9.15. Remembrance is so much greater than just... I forgot. Did I turn the stove off this morning? Uh, You know different things. Uh, I will set my bow in the cloud. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. See, the thing about God remembering covenants is not that He's so forgetful. It's not that He was about to flood this place all over again. Oh, that's right. Rainbow jogged His memory. Okay, doggone it. I wanted to flood them. You know, it was kind of fun flooding them out. Okay, no, he's not forgetting about the covenant. He's choosing to put the the remembrance of that at the forefront of his thinking. Front loading it right there, front and center. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. That's why the next destruction is by fire, not by water, in the uh, fulfillment of this. Leviticus 27, I'm sorry, 26. Leviticus 26.42. I'm talking about discipline, cycles of discipline upon a nation. For they are destroyed, and yet Israel has an uh, eternal future. So if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness, that's verse 40. Um, anyway, get down to verse 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land. See, they might be faithless as the day is long as far as the Mosaic covenant is concerned. But when they confess and when they repent, God remembers the Abrahamic covenant, preceded the Mosaic covenant, so the eternal covenant, unconditional covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's spoken there. Psalm 105, verse 8. Doug sang this a couple weeks ago. Psalm 105 and verse 8. See, this memory. It's why we, according to His promise, or looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because God Himself remembers this. Verse 8 says, He has remembered His covenant forever, the word which He commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham, His oath to Isaac, He confirmed to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Man, there's some doctrine there, huh? A sequence between covenant, oath, statute, covenant. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's renamed Israel. He's the God of Israel as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the covenant forever. He has remembered His covenant forever. The word which He commanded to a thousand generations. How many generations have we had already? How many generations have we had since Abraham? Or since, how about since Adam? How many generations since Jesus? How much longer till we hit a thousand generations? Okay. Well, we won't be on this earth, let me tell you. Because the millennium's not even long enough for a thousand generations. Okay? Unless humanity turns into kittens or something. You know, cats are capable of having a, a generation every year. Um, you know, a little kitten can grow up and become a mama cat on their first birthday. That's kind of scary. A human being, though, can't become a mama cat on her first birthday. It's just, that's not humanity. So we're not going to get a thousand generations in a thousand years. A thousand generations requires the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that becomes significant as well. Well, I'm out of time. Um, So we'll pick up on this. We'll deal with the new covenant and we'll uh, look at the preaching of Zacharias the guy that uh, had to stay silent for nine months. And then uh, when, he, when the Lord opened his mouth, 
boy, did he get to preach some things about remembrance and uh, the thankfulness and the prayer life that he had of uh, thanksgiving and remembrance. So we'll talk about that. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness for this day. Thank you for teaching us, Father, about thanksgiving and remembrance and pray that we might adjust our prayer life where we can be more reflective of of the uh, biblical standards. Might we have adult prayers and not baby prayers. Might we have true fellowship with you and with your son as we reflect back, as we're mindful of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you have promised to do. Father, thank you for empowering our prayer life in these capacities. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.